leading a startup team, whether you're delivering a sugar rush, stocking coffee, or getting a regular delivery of snacks, Office Depot has solutions that fit every startup culture, from getting those first business cards and stationery to ordering fleece pullovers with your new logo. To learn how Office Depot and the California Technology Council have partnered to bring you savings on all of these startup essentials and more, go to californiatechnology.org forward slash member benefits. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Bio Report. One of the challenges cell and gene therapies pose is how to control how much and when a desired protein is delivered. Obsidian Therapeutics has developed a platform that allows a small molecule drug to control with precision the timing and level of protein expression from these therapies. We spoke to Paul Watton, CEO of Obsidian Therapeutics, about the company's platform technology how it works, and how it may improve the safety and efficacy of cell and gene therapies. Paul, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Danny. It's a pleasure to be here. We're going to talk about Obsidian, its platform for creating controllable cell and gene therapies, and the implications of this technology. We've seen the emergence of cell and gene therapies in recent years, particularly in the area of cancer, this has come in the form of CAR-T therapies. What would you say the challenges these therapies face today? Well, I think the challenge which we've identified and are addressing at um, Obsidian is really about how to provide physician control over both cell and gene therapies, and um, that would include CAR-Ts. So, Today, if you get a prescription from a physician, you go to the pharmacy and you get a prescription that is written for a particular drug, uh, given at a particular uh, dose in terms of quantity, and um, then taken once a day, for example. But when you get a cell or gene therapy, um, the physician actually doesn't know uh, precisely what dose is going to take effect. And... um, more importantly, can't really control it. Uh, what we're aiming to do is to be able to provide uh, precision control over both cell and gene therapies and their ability to express proteins by using what we call Cytodrive here at Obsidian. Well, Obsidian's platform allows the physician to control the the expression of protein. In terms of the clinical studies behind these therapies, how much of a therapeutic range is it? Is it a safety is it issue? Is it an efficacy issue? So um, the it's a very good question. The technology itself was derived uh, from a platform that was invented at Stanford University by a guy called Professor Tom Wandless. And, and what we do is we're able to instruct cells to 
produce what we call drug-responsive domains that are fused to proteins of interest. And those drug-responsive domains are then controlled by administration of a small molecule drug and the expression of the protein is directly proportional to the dose of the small molecule drug that's given. Now, the small molecule drug that we are moving into the clinic with ourselves in the next 18 to 24 months is actually a drug called acetazolamide. It's a very safe drug. It's well established. It was originally approved for use in humans in the 1950s, so it's got a very uh, well-established track record. Today, it's used to treat altitude sickness uh, in some people. So we're going to use that as um, a drug that we can control protein expression with using our cytodrive technology. The nice thing about this drug is it's got a very wide dose range, so there's a lot of points on the dial that will enable us to provide precise dosing of cytokines and proteins uh, for both cell and gene therapies. So how does this work? Are you just attaching a receptor to the cell? Actually, that's a great question. So what we do is we genetically engineer cells to manufacture a fusion protein, in actual fact. And that fusion protein is structured in such a way um, which the cell produces all the time, but it's structured in such a way that it gets carted off to the proteasome in the cell, and which is effectively the sort of trash container within a cell that recognizes uh, proteins that are slightly misfolded. And when we give a small molecule drug to the patient or to the cell, what happens is, is the drug-responsive domain on that fusion protein changes its structure, and that means now that the protein does not get carted off to the proteasome. And clearly, the way we can control the amount of drug uh, that's given into the system also means that we can control the amount of protein that does not get off to the uh, carted off to the proteasome. And so that's why we can vary the level and also the timing of which uh, proteins are expressed by by cells. And are you able to use the same drug across targets, or does the particular protein you're trying to act on affect the drug you can use for that domain? Actually, the beauty of the technology now is that we, we can control uh, multiple proteins using this one single drug. We have also developed um, the technology using different drugs, but we like acetazolamide for the reasons I mentioned earlier. But we've been able to control a variety of proteins from uh, membrane-bound proteins all the way through to uh, transcription factors, which um, can produce proteins that can be secreted by cells. So we really haven't found to date, a protein that we haven't been able to regulate now using acetazolamide. And this was a breakthrough we made at the company about 12 months ago, identifying that uh, particular drug and the associated what we call domain uh, that worked alongside it in order to be able to control protein expressions of numerous cytokines, things like IL-2, IL-15, IL-12, as well as uh, the various transcription factors we've worked on as well. How precisely? It's actually really exciting. 
How precisely are you able to control a, a gene or cell therapy with this approach? Actually, it's amazing precision because the approach, if you actually looked at the protein expression in response to the dose of a drug, it follows the type of S-curve that you'd find with a typical pharmacology experiment from decades ago, uh, which is very well defined. So uh, we've been able to really regulate expression in terms of quantity um, very effectively. And also the timing of it can be controlled quite tightly as well. So typically you can control protein expression. Um, and once you remove the drug, it goes back down to normal levels within uh, 6 to 12 hours. And can you fully modulate the activity with this approach? Can you up and down regulate it or, or shut it off at will? Yeah, that's such a brilliant question. The answer is both. So um, the you see a lot of um, mention in the literature of things like kill switches uh, for protein expression. Um, we don't have just an on-off switch, but it is also an up and down switch as well. So the more drug you would actually give to somebody, the more of the cetazolamide you give somebody, for example, um, the more protein expression you get as a result. And so it's a dose-dependent way of being able to control protein expression. And to my knowledge, there isn't another system out there that is able to do that. There are companies using synthetic biology to kind of do the same thing. Is this a synthetic biology approach? This is definitely a synthetic biology platform that we have here. It's um, one that is interesting for me to come into at this stage in my career because I grew up in the small molecule world initially and gravitated towards biotech. And what we're seeing today is really a fusion of traditional small molecule pharmacokinetics combined with cutting-edge technology in synthetic biology, which is where the industry is heading. Is there any reason you couldn't put more than one of these domains on a cell and, and use multiple functions? Actually, yeah, you can. So we've been able to do things like uh, control multiple proteins at the same time using this approach. You could also um, release different proteins at different times, potentially, by using two different drugs to do the work. And... Um, they could have different pharmacokinetic profiles, for example, which would lead to different rates of release of, of two proteins um, in order to maximize the therapeutic efficacy of both in combination. How might this alter the safety and efficacy of cell and gene therapies today? Well, the example I can use is the... So we have the partnership with Bristol-Myers Squibb. Um, we're working on two programs of them. One is known as CD40L and the other one is IL12, which is a cytokine. This was the deal um, that at, began with Celgene? Yes, it was, yeah. Uh, if you look at the literature, a lot of these cytokines like IL12 or IL2, which is used already in cell therapies to support the cells once they're given back to the uh, the human body, they're actually what, what these cytokines like IL2 do is they were able to control um, cell proliferation in vivo, which is able to sustain the effectiveness of a treatment. But when you give a systemic cytokine like IL-2, for example, then you come up with a lot of 
uh, side effects as a result of the cytokine itself. So what we're trying to do is to be able to avoid um, seeing those systemic side effects from something like IL-2 by just being able to control the expression of a protein from a particular cell um, at levels where you see activity on the cell itself but not any systemic side effects. What makes those two targets particularly compelling? Well, the if you look at IL-2, for example, if you um, give that to a patient, the chances of something happening are quite high where a patient goes into a, a number of uh, situations where you get things like leakage from capillaries. Um, it's a very potent cytokine. But you actually need that cytokine present for the uh, CAR T cells, for example, to be able to proliferate in vivo and do their job. So it's a very finely balanced equation. And um, if you can avoid giving cytokine like that systemically and exposing the whole body to relatively high levels of cytokine, uh, when you only really need to get high levels in the cell itself, the CAR T cell, for example, um, then what our approach allows you to do is to engineer cells to be able to produce their own source of cytokine. And not only that, but it's also on demand. So you can really control the precise level at which you need a cytokine to be in the environment of that cell and just in the environment of that cell um, in order to be able to make it fully effective. And how does that collaboration work? Is there some decision point, some handoff point? So we have a collaboration with BMS for uh, two, two proteins, CD40L and IL-12. And the way the collaboration is structured is that we do the uh, early research on it, the preclinical research, and we're handing this across to them for them to move the technology into the clinic. So all of the clinical work would be done, for example, by Bristol-Myers Squibb, as well as uh, all of the uh, scale-up and manufacturing for the programs. How much opportunity is there for you to share in the, the value of the work if, if you're successful? Well, the um, deal we have with BMS is a typical biotech and big pharma deal, which uh, is licensing fees, milestones, and then a royalty payment when the product is uh, commercialized. There's all the value that they bring in terms of being able to fund programs up to and through uh, registration. And then the intangible benefit, of course, is all of the expertise and skills they bring to us as a company, which we can learn from as we go through the development process with them. And, for example, one, one piece of uh, input they've had already is on helping us to design our regulatory approach with respect to uh, this type of technology and getting their perspective on that has been enormously helpful to us, not just for the programs we're working on with um, BMS, but also for the internal pipeline that we're working on as well. And what role do you expect similar collaborations to play as you move forward? Well, I think that, we, first of all, we have a lot of interest in the technology platform that we're working on. The challenge a company like us faces is, you know, how many partnerships do you do? Because they're very intense in terms of managing them. Um, and you have to balance that against 
what can we achieve ourselves and control our own destiny. And so I think that for us as a company, there's room for probably one more partnership uh, along the lines of the BMS transaction uh, in the future. And I, I think we'll probably be looking at doing something like that in the next 12 to 24 months. Um, well, I think we can afford to be selective. And then the other components of this is building out the company so that we can pursue a pipeline of interesting opportunities where we see that protein regulation uh, is going to really make a difference in terms of what a therapeutic can do and move those into the clinic ourselves. This is a technology that has implications well beyond cartels. And cancer, what, what's the range of potential you see for the technology as you think about building a pipeline? Yeah, actually, it's enormous, Danny. The types of things we could look at are autoimmune disorders, for example. We can look at uh, any of the areas where I'm going to use the word traditional gene therapy has been been used. So um, things like blood factors, um, orphan diseases, where we could control protein expression in vivo, which has never been done before. Um, we can also use this technology in areas like ophthalmology, where you can control um, expression of growth factors in the eye, for example, to treat uh, disorders like uh, AMD, macular degeneration. Um, so there's a huge um, set of therapeutics that we could develop as a company. And um, I think that the way the industry is moving towards protein-based uh, therapeutics means that at some point um, the value proposition that Obsidian is offering, which is the ability to control protein expression, is going to become a requirement for these therapeutics rather than a, a nice-to-have. Paul Watton, CEO of Obsidian Therapeutics. Paul, thanks so much for your time today. Thanks so much, Danny. It's been great talking with you. Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week, subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send an email to danny at levinemediagroup.com. Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it.